You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. What the Five Eyes See, Implications of North Korean Responsibility for WannaCry, Defense and deterrence go with naming and shaming. The Lazarus Group looks to cryptocurrency theft to redress North Korean financial shortfalls. The Copperfield cyber espionage campaign in the Middle East. GDPR approaches and organizations look to get their data houses in order and buy insurance. And what to do if your child gets a phone from Santa. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, December 20th, 2017. Have you heard? People say North Korea was behind the WannaCry attacks that tore through vulnerable networks early this summer. Pyongyang hasn't had much to say about the latest round of accusations, but it has denounced earlier attributions as slander and provocation, as of course Pyongyang would. That said, all five of the eyes are glaring like basilisks toward the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, which they agree was responsible for WannaCry. And it's not just the five eyes, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and the United States, but others too, Japan among them. Some conclude that the lesson here is that collective defense works, albeit in this case abetted by someone lucking into the kill switch, because the outbreak could have been far worse. U.S. networks, for instance, proved generally resistant to the campaign. Two questions at least are being asked, one pertaining to deterrence and the retaliatory capability necessary to deter, the other to security lapses that can enable attacks. To take deterrence first, if you wish to deter similar attacks, how might you retaliate? You can hack until the ones and zeros jump, but it's not clear doing so will seriously affect North Korea's regime, absent identification of something the regime values that one could hold at risk. Blame, shame, and further isolation may be the best anyone can do, many observers suggest. The U.S. stopped short of using language that would have characterized WannaCry as an act of war, but North Korean cyber operations are clearly a matter of concern. The White House drew particular attention to Facebook account takedowns and Microsoft fixes as providing valuable and ongoing defense against North Korean cyber attacks. Facebook said that last week the company cooperated with Microsoft in joint action to disrupt the activities of a persistent advanced threat group commonly referred to as Zinc or the Lazarus Group. Microsoft, in addition to cooperating with account takedowns, has said it has taken steps to clean customers' machines and strengthen Windows defenses. The Facebook account takedowns are seen as suggesting that WannaCry is, as Engadget says, 
the tip of the proverbial iceberg. They're also taken by many as a sign that the U.S. and probably the U.K. are engaging in some form of retaliation, although little more is being said about it. The Guardian quotes the U.K.'s Foreign Office Minister for Cyber, Tariq Ahmad, as saying, quote, We condemn these actions and commit ourselves to working with all responsible states to combat destructive criminal use of cyberspace. He added that international law applies online as it does offline, and said the United Kingdom was determined to identify, pursue, and respond to malicious cyber activity regardless of where it originates, imposing costs on those who wish to attack us in cyberspace. The second big question about WannaCry is, how did the alleged NSA exploits, particularly Eternal Blue, get loose into the hands of the shadow brokers in the first place? Early in 2017, NSA warned Microsoft about a vulnerability in Windows Server Message Block Protocol, which Microsoft patched in March. In April, the shadow brokers dumped what they characterized as stolen NSA attack code, and that dump included the Eternal Blue exploit, subsequently used by WannaCry to hit unpatched machines. White House Homeland Security Advisor Tom Bossert, who's been the public face of U.S. attribution of WannaCry to North Korea, said yesterday that, quote, the government needs to better protect its tools and things that leak are very unfortunate. We need to create security measures to better protect that from happening, End quote. While there have been at least three arrests in connection with NSA leaks, none of these, so far as is publicly known, were for leaks of exploits to the shadow brokers. So presumably, investigation continues. WannaCry is, of course, currently in remission, as it has been for some months. The DPRK's current interests appear to lie in cryptocurrency, with the Lazarus Group paying a great deal of attention to hacking wallets and catfishing people with access to alt currencies. The UK's Minister for Cyber, Ahmad, alluded to Pyongyang's motives in his statement on WannaCry. Quote, the indiscriminate use of the WannaCry ransomware demonstrates North Korean actors using their cyber program to circumvent sanctions. End quote. That program now concentrates on stealing Bitcoin, so alt-currency fans, look to your wallets. With the holidays upon us, many will be traveling to visit friends and family. They'll make use of public transportation, and some of those systems are semi-autonomous. Stan Engelbrecht is Director of Cybersecurity Practice at D3 Security. One example, uh, well, one that I take daily here would be the TransLake SkyTrain here in Vancouver, uh, which doesn't have any drivers. It's all centrally controlled, so all the speed, um, any type of stopping mechanisms or anything like that uh, is basically all controlled out of a central location, and it's all really driven by interconnectedness. And so what are some of the specific vulnerabilities that systems like this would have? A number of them would be just the, the central systems themselves. I mean, if we're talking the SkyTrain, uh, it really was something that was developed in 1986. Um, it came out when the World Expo here in Vancouver happened. Back in 1986, the idea of a cyber attack, I mean, you're, we're talking about something that really wasn't even thought of nor even invented at that point. Mm. And so these systems, which are now internet connected, really don't have the controls and the securities in place that, that they need to in, in this time and this time and space. That's probably one of the biggest problems that they're running into right now. And so have we seen any attempts to get into these sorts of systems? Well, there was a San Francisco one, which uh, happened not too long ago, which, which is fairly well known, the Muni attack basically caused their system to run for free. Our system here, there hasn't really been an attack, I would say, in terms of um, causing the system to go down. 
there was a, a, a card hack in terms of the payment system, which you know people were, were able to ride for free, but not really anything where it was a real disruption. Different actors are getting into different places. And so the, the prospect of a, of a general cyber attack on a public transportation system is something I would say is, is inevitable. Can you sort of contrast the difference between someone who would be going after uh, criminal things, you know, trying to get some money versus someone who, you know, perhaps a terrorist attack? You listed it out right there. The difference is going to really be motive. So a cyber criminal, I mean, while they, they don't really want to disrupt the system, so to speak, they want to get into it to, to profit from it whether it's, you know, being able to siphon off account information, whether it's being able to actually, you know, directly uh, pull money out of the card payment systems that they have in place. Whereas if you're looking at something, I will use the word state actor or, or, or a terrorist organization. I mean, if you have the ability to shut down, you know, New York's, you know, central train stations or anything like that, that's going to be interconnected, you're going to cause like widespread chaos. That's going to have a number of different impacts, you know, obviously financial, but you're really talking about pulling a system down or, or, or causing a, a lack of service. You're talking about, oh, that's one of their MOs, right? They're, they're terrorists. They want to spread terror. And that having the system pulled down is, is, is one aspect of it. If I think of possible outcomes in terms of what can happen there, I mean, I look at our SkyTrain system, you know, and I would hope that they have, uh, you know, some physical controls in place in terms of speed. But if somebody gets into the centralized system, and you can well imagine if they just turn off the controls or turn up the controls, um, on these systems, so the trains, you know, just run at full speed, and there's no, there's no stopping, or the operators don't have the ability to to stop the trains. I mean, you're you're talking about a mass accident that could affect, you know, hundreds of people at a time. And it is your sense that uh, the municipalities are prepared for these sorts of things, or are they behind? I would say they're behind. One of the people that we've had come in is from our security group here, as a gentleman by the name of Gary Perkins, and he's actually the CISO of the province of British Columbia here. And really, according to him, from what he knows of the public systems and, and whatnot, he figures that probably less than 5% of municipalities and public and in the public sector here is, is ready for really any type of a, of a widespread cyber attack. And of course, I mean, that, that, that's concerning. I think us in the security community, and even with our group here, one of our goals is to really educate you know, the public on some of the dangers. And I think if, if the public is better educated, not in a way where we're spreading fear. I mean, that's, that's really not our goal. Our goal isn't to spread fear. Our goal is to, is to educate and just make people aware. And I think if we were better at spreading the, that type of an awareness, I think probably more things would happen quickly. And you'd get, you know, if it's a political item like you brought up in terms of public transportation, uh, if, there's a, if there's more of an outcry from the public to secure these things, I think things would probably happen in a much better fashion. That's Stan Engelbricht from D3 Security. Another cyber espionage campaign has been spotted in the Middle East. Researchers at security firm Niatron call it Copperfield. It's an evolution of the H-worm, also called Houdini, that emerged from Algeria four years ago. No firm attribution yet, but Niatron speculates about the possible involvement of Algeria, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. As full implementation of the EU's General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, approaches its May deadline, many organizations are looking for a silver lining in what amounts to a pretty dark regulatory cloud. Computing reports that GDPR does afford everyone an opportunity to get its data house in order. There are also reports of a lining, silvery or leaden remains to be seen, for underwriters. A lot of businesses have decided to transfer their GDPR regulatory risk by taking out cyber insurance policies. There are only five days until Christmas, of course, and those of you who are considering getting your kids' smartphones may find some quick advice useful. 
The website Cool Mom Tech offers nine bits of counsel that are worth your consideration. First, check location settings so your kids don't inadvertently broadcast their whereabouts. Second, of course, you'll want to set restrictions and parental controls. Third, consider setting up some way of sharing, like the family sharing offered on iOS devices. Fourth, set up their contacts, especially if you are sharing, to avoid oversharing. Fifth, manage their passcodes so you know them, and add your fingerprint to devices with biometric security. Sixth, set up a charging station somewhere away from the child's bedroom so they'll be less tempted to sit up all night looking at their new phone. Seventh, sit them down and show them how to use the phone. You don't want them picking up this kind of know-how on street corners, either physical or virtual. Eighth, consider making a contract with them about how, when, and where they'll use the phone, or at least set clear limits for them. And finally, if you get them a phone, get them a case to put it in. A good case that will survive dropping, immersion, maybe even temperamental banging. And happy holidays. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Joining me once again is Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, welcome back. Um, Today we wanted to touch on threat intelligence. Specifically, you make the point that when you're shopping for threat intelligence, it pays to make sure you know what you're getting. 
That's exactly right. It seems like on a daily basis, my team and myself are asked questions from our clients, like how do I know if we're spending our time and money on the threats that impact the areas of the business that are critical to making money? Or how do I triage security incidents? Or do I even have the right or the best threat intelligence? And it seems like there is a feeding frenzy in the cybersecurity market today. More and more companies, software companies are coming out with their next generation threat intelligence. And then you've got next generation threat intelligence feeds and and so on. And really, I, I think that we as an industry need to examine and talk about the various forms of threat intelligence and how it affects our clients or how it affects businesses per se. And that's really being materialized through uh, the hype around having the best threat intelligence, like the best bad domains or the best um, bad IPs and and knowing exactly what signatures are out there and having them first uh, before anyone else and getting them to the clients. And, and really what we should be focusing on is not just the tactical threat intelligence, not just the indicators of compromise or indicators of attack, but also examining the who, what, and why, and where behind a lot of the attacks since how can you properly defend yourself if you don't know who out there wants to to cause you harm from an adversary level? And just hanging your hat on tactical threat intelligence could be a mistake simply because these indicators, IPs, domain signatures, all of that good stuff, is all predicated on one simple thing, and that is someone else in the world had to have seen that adversary or seen that threat one time before. But what we're seeing is uh, we're seeing very advanced adversaries. Heck, you don't even have to be an advanced adversary. You can just be an adversary, not even nation state. And you're, it's very easy to take your malicious code and rejigger a few variables, and now you have a completely new signature. So it's really important not to hang your hat just on indicators of compromise or attack. So is it really a notion that while threat intelligence can be an important part of the spectrum of tools that you use, you shouldn't allow it to give you a false sense of security? Right. And I think that it it really speaks back to previous points we're seeing an industry being moved from solely based around prevention to prevention, detection, and response. And if you put all your eggs in the threat intelligence basket, you are almost saying you're putting all of your eggs in the prevention basket. All right, Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.
now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 